0: Attractions to the same sex, unprocessed childhood trauma, porn addiction. Our marriage seemed doomed. If marriage is primarily about attraction, it was. If marriage is a gospel picture, it absolutely wasn't.
1: An Impossible Marriage, what our mixed orientation marriage has taught us about love and the gospel. A book endorsed by Matt and Lauren Chandler, Ann Voskamp, Gabe Lyons, and Marvin Williams is now available for pre-order.
0: Find it at impossiblemarriage.com.
2: Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 141, A Sexual Minority on Racial Equity.
0: Hello, welcome. I am your host, Lori Krieg, and I am, with my favorite licensed therapist, Jesus-like carpenter, Argyle expert, and my husband, Matt Krieg. Hello. Hey, Matt. And of course, we do have the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve.
2: Hi, guys.
0: Before we get rolling here, guys, did you know that you can watch us? Do you know that you can see us now? We are on the YouTube, as kids say. They definitely do say that. Uh, But you can find it in the episode notes, um, or you can search my name, Lori Krieg, with all the vowels, L-A-U-R-I-E-K-R-I-E-G, on YouTube or Vimeo. But guys, today, I am so excited to dive into another important conversation about racial equity, but we're also going to engage the sexual brokenness conversation, and when you are a double minority, how do you engage the world like Jesus? How do those of us who are in a majority position, a place of privilege, engage like Jesus? And my new friend, Henry Abuto, is going to help us out. Henry, welcome.
3: Hey, yeah, thank y'all so much for having me. Um, I'm excited. I, when we connected an email a couple of months ago, after revoice, I was like, okay, this seems like a good conversation. Yeah, All Y'all were on my radar at first in 2018. And I found it, both of y'all, to be hysterical um, <laughs> <laughs> in a very no-holds-barred kind of conversational way y'all speak.
0: Oh, you know And
3: uh, I was like, okay, these are people I'd want to get to know. And I've been following y'all's podcast for a little while. So thank y'all so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here.
0: Oh, I didn't know that little tidbit that you knew about uh, us. Oh,
3: yes. Oh, that's oh I great. did. Yes.
0: Well, I was super excited to see your talk on Revoice. And I was like, this, um, you, you know, you, you have depth. You've got like the the flash of a, a stage person, but you have some pretty intense depth, which that combination is rare and critical anywhere, but I think especially in this conversation. Um, guys, for those of you who don't know Henry, let's just get a little bio on him. He's based in Fort Worth, Texas, where Matt was born. They've already been down the sports talk. That's another <laughs> podcast someday. Uh, but he is a Christian man who writes on faith, friendship, sexuality, race, Jesus, and a host of other topics. And he's a good follow. So go find him. A-B-U-T-O. Henry, go find him, go follow him. Uh, but he's a lover of hosting dinner parties, live music, deep friendships, red wine, hey, and Beyonce, hey again, and all things yes. Texas. I am so excited to dive in this conversation. I mean, we we hit all the controversy here, and it's not all just controversy. I don't like being always just categorized there. I want to get into that depth. <laughs> let's get into the depth, yes. man. But before we do there, let's go up up a level. Let's hit the question of the week from last week, which is this. What's a boring fact about you? Henry, let's go. Um,
3: let's see. I was trying to think of that earlier when I was cooking, and... I was like, I don't know if I have a boring fact. I mean, I'm a very actually people think I'm an extrovert and I'm not. I'm such an introvert. (gasps) And like, I know I do have a yes. My personality does not come off that way. Are you an INFJ? Oh Yes,
0: uh, we're secret. I'm an INFJ, too. We're secret. <laughs> yes. We're pretend extroverts. And then we just get exhausted yes. and go home. Yeah.
3: Yes. But yeah, my best friend, Joel, said a boring fact about me, which is not boring, but probably annoying to him <laughs> is when I was growing up, my mom would leave all the cabinets open when she cooked. Oh, no. Like every single one. And I'd close them after and I hated it. Uh, And now I do the exact same thing, and it drives him insane. But, yeah. (laughs) uh,
0: That's really funny.
3: Yes.
0: I feel like I need to just jump in because that is straight up my boring fact about me is I do the same thing. I leave all the cupboards <laughs> open and I I don't, I okay, some of it is growing up with 11 brothers and sisters and like why shut a See, cupboard? See,
3: I'm one of eight. <gasps> so I'm the youngest of eight, so yeah.
0: I mean, the cupboard is just going to get opened in like three whole seconds. <laughs> why are you shutting it? And so also, yeah. I don't like the sound of it closing and so mm-hmm. Matt closes behind me and then also my one-year-old son don't worry about yeah, it.
3: All
1: of the kids oh, that's have funny. done that.
3: <laughs> Do you know what I did at my last house? I just I lived there for probably three years, and I just by the after a year into it, I took all the doors off the cabinets. I just took them off in the kitchen. I was like, "There's no point." But
0: so you, <laughs> so, you must have nice stuff inside there because oh, that's I had what... I had
3: I had to keep it organized. That was oh. the thing.
0: <laughs> we have had this conversations very recently. I do need to share the person that I chose for the question of the week. And this is in the Hole in My Heart podcast Facebook page. If you guys are not a part of that group, we got at least a couple hundred in there. Uh, just find the Hole in My Heart podcast, as to join. You got to answer a couple of questions just to make sure that you're not crazy. And then we'll let you in. Uh, but this is what Catherine said. I always double the amount of garlic in my savory dishes because it makes the food taste better and it makes me feel just a tiny bit adventurous and edgy. I don't know, it just made me laugh. (laughs) She feels a little edgy.
3: (laughs) Garlic, you gotta like quadruple whatever amount. So I'm an event planner and caterer. Oh, so I just got done actually cooking for an event right now. Oh, wow. But oh, yeah, I like quadruple the amount of garlic in anything. So,
0: lesson learned. (laughs) <laughs> Matt Krieg, which listener's answer stood out to you?
1: Yeah, I really liked what John said on Facebook. He said, I can't touch tennis balls. And if I see a dog holding a tennis ball in its mouth, it can trigger my gag reflex. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's so relatable. Yes. <laughs> and who
1: hasn't seen a dog in the past like three days Today. holding a ten- tennis ball in mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I went on, on kind of a similar path but I hate the feel of chalk Ugh. in my hand. <clears throat> and, and so when our kids are in the driveway playing with the sidewalk chalk, oh, Lori has a box of chalk. Yeah. Oh, goodness.
0: Which you can see on our YouTube channel right now. Right. I'm going to hold some yeah. chalk. I'm going to see how long <laughs> it can last without wanting yeah. to.
1: Yeah, no, like, so shrivel. anyway, when our kids are playing sidewalk chalk and they're like, dad, come play with us. I'm like, ooh, okay. And then inevitably the one-year-old like puts it in his mouth. <laughs> And that's Uh. the worst because I'm imagining the feel of chalk on my teeth and it's just... (laughs) Uh. I'm getting chills right now, actually. I'm going to stop talking.
0: He puts it in his mouth and then he shakes his head no. And you're like, yeah, no. But he (laughs) still likes him. (laughs) Steve-O.
2: Okay, well, I appreciated this comment. It was Matthew. He said, I can't stand carrots and dislike all cake except for carrot cake, my favorite. (laughs) Yeah. This guy is just... Walking contradiction.
0: Uh, so are you a walking contradiction? What's well, your boring no, fact? my
2: boring fact is not really connected much to his other than it's about food. I like eating an apple or a banana while driving because I can chuck the apple core or the banana peel out the window and I feel kind of rebellious, like I'm sort of...
0: Yeah, you are. Throwing
2: trash out, but oh, okay. it's biodegradable. It's gonna slip on that. Yeah.
0: Okay. Someone's going
2: to slip on it. Someone's
0: going to slip on it. Oh, I
2: make sure it doesn't land on like a sidewalk or the road. Well,
0: the, the Herbie, it's haven't okay, you it's ever watched the any?
2: Well, driving. And then there's also Mario Kart, right? Don't <laughs> yeah, they throw yeah. banana yeah. peels out? Dangerous. Uh,
1: okay. Anyway, I
2: would just want to because my wife is in the room, yeah. and I just want to make it clear: I don't throw trash out the window <laughs> when I'm driving. <laughs> I, only I, food I, stuff.
0: Her... chagrined face. That's right. That's a <laughs> term, but it's just, I feel it emanating. Yeah. But we do, let's just make it note, we have guests in the audience today, which is really fun. I can't wait for the day when COVID is gone, yes. and we can have legit guests all the time, including Kelly. You are also legit. Uh, and more guests. Okay. Let's move on to the gospel, which is the reason we do this podcast, not to talk about Steve's questionable, biodegradable habits of littering, etc. But this is a set of questions that we ask everyone Henry it is this if the gospel is I am more loved than I imagine and yet still more sinful than I believe when was the gospel first good news for you and how is it still
3: that's a really good question I read that and I was like okay well we're just getting right off to the start we're doing it um yeah so five minute I guess just a quick testimony or a little bit about myself yeah I was born in Kenya um, and uh, I just turned 31 uh, about three weeks ago, I have the same birthday as Beyonce, another reason I Happy love her. Happy
0: birthday um, to both of you.
3: Thank you. Yes. I was born in Kenya, and My family moved here to the States when I was nine. And from a very early age, I was introduced to God in the church. My dad's an Anglican priest. And so I always grew up in the church. I don't remember what life. I don't ever remember not knowing God um, or not going to church. And when I, knew I was nine, uh, I knew something was different, probably even by the age of four. By the time I was 9, nine, ten, I had a word for it. I was like, oh, I like, I remember watching Backstreet Boys' video, I think. And I was like, oh, okay, that's what's going on here. I think I was like 10 or 11. But mm. um, I knew something was different. But I didn't really do anything about that or much with it. And I also grew up in a very abusive home, uh, just mm. physically, emotionally, and uh, verbally, and uh, not disparage my father because I'm in a, we're in a different place now but it's just a truth of my life and my testimony right um that I grew up in a very unsafe environment and uh, just a lot of brokenness inside the home and whenever I was uh, 14 I started experimenting with my sexuality or not experimenting acting out rather and um whenever I was uh, 15 or 16 I could drive I was 16 um, my father moved back home to Kenya, but before that he had been pretty violent with all of us one night. And uh, my mom said to me, she said, Henry, I can't save you. Um, I can't, I'm sorry. I can't help you. I can't help any of us, but cling to the cross. That's where your hope is. Um that's where your hope is found. And so although I'd been a believer um, or I'd been known Christ in my life, I think when that was mentioned to me at 16, That's when it really grasped. that, okay, my salvation and my hope cannot be on anything on this side of eternity, That it has to be securely found in Jesus at the foot of the cross. Mm. And from that point on, um, I lived in now what I call, like if you stand under a porch when it's raining and half your body's wet, I'm a very visual talker, sorry, and um, half your body's under the porch. And so... You're getting soaked and you're dry. It's not comfortable, pick one. And from 18 until I came out at 18 and uh, did whatever I wanted, whoever I wanted, however I wanted for five years or so, and if not longer. And uh, there was a part of me that just still felt like something isn't whole or complete And it was because I wasn't just fully living for God. And I remember I walked into a young adult service a week after my 24th birthday, after my 25th, yeah, six years ago. And uh, I'd been praying that whole year, God bring me people who will love me and support me and men who will walk alongside me and encourage me. And uh, on one hand, if you saw my Facebook at the time, oh, Henry has scripture posted he has a hill song lyric but um i remember just that year praying god please bring people around me embody people to love me encourage me and support me and walk alongside me but on the outside you can also see pictures like i was miserable on the inside but on the outside of henry's at drag queen brunch in dallas or henry's doing this or doing that so it looks like i'm just living the life and finally a year after walking in that church i remember being on stage leading worship and they had recorded my testimony on a video and it was i couldn't hear it during sound check because i didn't have any ears in but then during the service i could hear it and i start panicking thinking oh gosh like what am i declaring to a room of 500 people that jesus is better than anything else in the world and like he's worth sacrificing your all to follow him and oh my gosh do i really believe this i don't want my story out there like this and then i heard god telling me henry you are a vessel i'm using to tell a story of my redemptive grace this isn't about you and then i remember i said that moment okay god you did that with the year i'll give you the rest of my life and that was in 2015
1: hmm.
3: when i think i fully came back to my faith. not i think i know i fully came back to my faith in a new way and post then the past six years have been a really you know when you walk away from something or hmm. a situation And you don't know what's in front of you, but you know it's better than what's behind you. And so you're going to keep walking forward faithfully. And that's kind of what 2015 was for me. And now in hindsight, had I known what the past six years were going to look like, filled with heartache, pain, um, even just the social and racial awakening that the evangelical church is going through and my place in all of that, I still obviously would have followed Christ. But sometimes I'm just like, Man, I wish somebody would have given me a roadmap for the last six years that I just mm. lived. But um, at the end of the day, Jesus is still king over my life and mm. over our world. And that is what keeps me anchored. And Hebrews ten twenty three, we just hold fast um, to what is righteous and what is true. And we endure because we know we have a faith and a hope that will not disappoint us. And Amen. So, yeah.
0: That's so good. Thank you. So that is a beautiful story and thank you. And it explains a lot of the depth that we see, um, like out of the deepest holes and the darkest, the hottest fires come the deepest people in my Mm. opinion. So, uh, how is the gospel? How do you still need the good news today?
3: Um, I think as we look around our world and our lives individually or collectively there has to be something bigger and better than this or what's the point? Right. And that's what keeps me so anchored. It's I fully believe that we have a resurrected King who is alive today as he was 2000 plus years ago. Mm. And this world is not our final place. And our mission, our responsibility, um, the Lord's Prayer says on earth that is in heaven. Yes. We are to bring the kingdom of God as much as we can to our current world while we live with the knowledge that this is not our permanent home. Mm. And that's why the gospel is just still alive to me today as it was Amen. years and years
0: ago. Ooh, okay. So we are <laughs> talking. So you are a black man and you are, yes. how do you identify? Do you identify as gay? Track of same sex? What's your... Identical no sexual. i don't even have
3: time for these evangelical like how i i'm very comfortable identifying as i am a black gay man okay and gay is a term i use to define my lived experience um mm-hmm. like our friend Eve Tushnet said i respect how anyone wants to identify but yeah, yeah. for me to not allow me to use the word gay is to not allow me to use their english language right, and right. so mm-hmm. um but yeah, so I identify I'm very comfortable with identifying as gay. Okay. I'm also equally yeah. comfortable identifying as same sex attracted. Depends on the conversation, but mm-hmm. they mean the same to me. I like men and that is not changing. Yeah. Uh probably not on this side of eternity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Yeah. and then we won't have sexuality on the other side of eternity. So That's right.
0: yay. <laughs> yeah. And so for our listeners, just so you guys know, our perspective on that is we just say don't fight about it. Yes. <laughs> we just say it's not like worth this, it. It's not it's so worth m- it. Please stop.
3: There's so much bigger things to discuss and like. I mean, it's, yeah, so. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, so thank (laughs) you. We're saying the same thing. Okay, so anyway, there's other bigger pictures, just let's focus on the the issues that really need to be gutted that are Mm -hmm. those primary issues. Okay, so let's talk about a study that just came out from Barna, and it says that 30%, (sighs) I know, 30% of practicing Christians say they are either unmotivated or not at all motivated to address racial injustice in society. 30%. That's almost twice as much as last year when 17% said they were not motivated. And uh, okay, so that's all Christians taken. So that's black, white in between who identify as Christians, 30%, it's about double from last year who are unmotivated or not at all motivated to uh, address racial injustice. Okay, but then let's take a piece of that pie. Black Christians, 72% of black adults and 75% of black self-identified Christians said the U.S. definitely has a problem with racism in 2019. So last year, it was about 72% of black adults. And 75% of black Christians said, yep, we do have an issue. And that jumped this year to 76% and 81%. So black Christians are like, we have an issue. Seems as if, okay, in other words, while black Christians are becoming more convicted of, convinced of this problem, white Christians are becoming less convinced when there's so much talk now, I mean, we've been doing uh, podcasts, uh, episodes on uh, racial equity for a while now. When there's so much talk, so not just us, this is, you just mentioned it, this is of uh, this upheaval that's happening that's necessary and good. Why do you think, Henry, in the midst of this, white Christians seem to care less and do care less according to the stats?
3: Okay. Um... I actually read that study probably maybe a couple of days before y'all sent me this email. And yeah. so I was like, Oh, I'm glad. Cause I was going to bring it up. So I was like, I'm glad we're going to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I first want to start by defining a couple of terms. I'm probably going to use in this conversation. Um, predominantly the construct of whiteness. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten a lot of feedback when I write or speak that sometimes white people take offense when I use the phrase whiteness or something like that, because I find it as a personal indictment against them individually. And it, I am talking at a macro level. I'm not talking about any single individual white person I know. I could, but I'm probably not doing that. Mm. I'm talking about whiteness as a social construct um, that benefits people who are white. And again, whiteness is a social construct. So I'm talking about institutions, systems, and organizations. I'm not talking about any individual. So even when I say white Christians, if you're listening to this, I don't want you to think, yes, Henry's talking to me in my living room. I mean, if it applies to you, then yes, but... I'm talking about the construct and the system white evangelicalism. So Mm -hmm. I just wanted to get that out there because I've gotten a lot of feedback that people are confused about that. So Mm -hmm. um, I think with what happened, if I really want to say the awakening for white people maybe started in 2016, with the evangelical culture and the politics that kind of were just married very closely that year. And um, black people started feeling, black evangelicals or black Christians rather, just in general, started feeling very convicted that the marriage between white supremacy and Christianity is something that is not becoming of Christ. And there's a beautiful article written in the New York Times about, it's called The Silent Exodus about how people of color were leaving white churches. I'll email it to y'all. Maybe y'all can link it to this yeah, podcast. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, and that's when, when it started happening for me. And I started examining my white counterparts around me. It's like, what are they thinking? What are they talking about? How do they feel? And I spent probably two years really just internalizing, thinking, researching. And then this year, it, everything just hit the fan. Mm. Um, in terms of race and Christianity and America and reckoning with history and police brutality and racial inequality or injustice. And I think white people quite honestly felt that, oh, this is something we can talk about for a little while, maybe a month or two, uh, give a sermon about on MLK Day or give this sermon there and maybe have one discussion a year about race, and they felt fine. So all of a sudden, when the country and Black Christians are like, no, we are not fine. We need to keep having these conversations. White people felt tired because I feel white Christians sometimes can look at this and they were like, OK, well, this is going to be something we can deal with and move on. When this is a marathon and not a sprint. And I mm-hmm. think the fatigue that's been coming from them. And like when I have white friends are like, oh, man, we're tired, we're exhausted. I'm like, welcome to the club. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm mm-hmm. like, because at the end of the day, I don't have an option to step away from this conversation. It affects my lived experience, my everyday life.
1: Right.
3: And I think with the increase in white people thinking that it's actually less of an issue to discuss or talk about is because it's been talked about for a couple of months and feel like, oh, we've done our job and now we can just kind of move on mm-hmm. when that's not the case.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so I mean, okay, as as someone who is... Never grown up in a space of, of not having privilege. I am a white male,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: you know, upper middle class, whatever I grew up in, you know, never worrying about any, of, like, where food was going to come from, anything like that. Like, I have never experienced an ounce of unprivilege in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's helpful, like, as as you're talking about this, to say, okay, this isn't just a, this is not just a race issue. This is a Christian issue. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I guess in light of in light of that, like how how should we as as Christians and, and specifically me as a white Christian, how should I care about this? I, I, I guess even more than than maybe I feel like I should, if that I don't even know if that question mm-hmm. makes sense.
3: Uh, no, your question makes sense so much because I had this is God. I literally just pulled out this article the other day that I'd written. I haven't looked at it since July. And your question, I have an answer for it in here. So that's perfect. Um, Thank you for bringing up the term and the word privilege. And I want to define that, or at least how I speak about it real quick as well, before I answer your question. Um, So privilege means that we have the benefit of not experiencing something other people do, Mm. or we we are not at a disadvantage because in the ways other people are. But for example, you and I, Matt, potentially have income privilege because we make 17 more cents the dollar than lawyers or women typically do. That's a privilege men have. Um, when I walk into a church and I look around me and I look around the stage, I can see that you and I have male privilege because we are in positions of power all over the room. That's not a, something women think through when they walk into office buildings or most spaces. Um, I have a college degree that gives me educational privilege. It doesn't mean I didn't earn it. It just means I have a benefit over other people. So whenever people hear the word privilege, they hear I have something I don't deserve. And my friend of mine, we had a conversation uh, two years ago, and I was really confused about why he got so offended by the term privilege. And so I called my friend, my other friend, who's a reasonable person. I said, Sam, explain to me what Person heard when I said privilege, why he got so upset. He's saying, Oh, well, he feels that you're saying because he's white, he didn't earn his house or his job or his car. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm not saying he didn't like he has a job, he works hard. Of course, he earned those things he bought. I'm just saying that systemically, the situations like if him and I walk into a bank, we might get looked at differently, or if him and I go apply for a job, we might get looked at differently. But I'm not saying he, as an individual, did anything. Like, Matt, there's nothing you did wrong to me or against me because you're white and I'm black. I'm just saying because you are white, there are situations that you live in, you experience that. Unfortunately, I'm not extended the same luxuries or benefits that you have. Mm -hmm. And so for my rest of the conversation, that's how I use the word privilege. And I just want to be very clear on that as well. That's great. Um, Yes. But to answer your question, um, how do we as a believer, what use a white man can do? I think the first thing that anybody who's in a position of power can do, that they want, especially when you realize that you're in a position of power or privilege, means you probably have a platform. And if you have a platform, um, the one thing you can do is uh, learn how to, especially white people, decenter yourself. And what do I mean by that? Well, history and our culture has conditioned white people, specifically white men, straight Christian white men, to be the center of everything and every narrative. But in the conversation regarding race and justice, you are not at the center. Um, so what you do is you use a platform, even the same way you're doing that. You invite a person of color to speak, um, and uh, you share your platform with them, or you even remove yourself completely and you champion them and their voice. Um, you make sure they feel comfortable and heard and listened to, um, and then look around you in your environment. Who are the people speaking in your life? Do you have anybody different than you speaking in your life? Do you have anybody who looks different, who maybe has a different cultural background, who has a different educational background, If you were surrounding yourself with the same people and same voices, you live in an echo chamber. So another thing you can do is remove yourself out of that and start inviting more voices of different people into that space.
0: Mm. That's super helpful. Um, And I love how you start out like, I'm saying this. Here's what I mean by that. I'm like, oh, I get it. I just Uh, talk yourself in a a a corner. It's so good.
3: Mm-hmm. I'm not getting these emails back and tweets <laughs> and everything. I have lived enough of that. So.
0: <laughs> Done. Zo. OK, so all right. In addition to be- being black, when I ask, like, how do you identify you also? You're a gay black man. So how does that add another element? Because I've been in spaces where I've had people say to me. Is this all you ever think about? Like, why do you just keep, why are you pushing us so much in this LGBT world? And so I don't have the black piece, but I have that piece. And I'm like, yeah. I've said the sentence you said, I cannot walk away from this. Mm-hmm. I don't get to just be like, and here's the gay conversation. It's a part yeah. of my, it's all the time here.
3: Mm-hmm. And so
0: you have both. How does how does that factor into your real life?
3: I even have a third minority point. I'm gay, black, and foreign. I'm not yeah, American that's citizen. True. And so- yep. It's when people have conversations about immigration, I can't walk away from that. It affects my life and the lives of people around me. When people have conversations about sexuality and LGBT rights, and I can't walk away from that. That People have conversations about race and equity. I can't walk away from that. And oftentimes I feel, I used to feel guilty. Like if I spoke about one piece only, I was ignoring another part of me Mm. or who I was or what I was doing and I felt like, Specifically, I think even with race, because for the longest time, even in evangelical circles, this focus on my story was my sexuality. And so it felt like the race conversation took a really back seat. Mm -hmm. And then everything kind of ruptured the past couple of years. Where not people are like, Henry, could you just stop talking about that? I'm like, no, thank you. So I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Um, And Henry, could you not maybe talk about sexuality as much? I'm sorry. That's not going to happen either. Mm. And could you maybe talk about immigration less? I'm like, I'm sorry. And I lived in this world where I felt fragmented for a really long time with those different identity points. And then it was my... It was revoice year two actually that I gave a talk called Everything Belongs. And essentially I'd been thinking through that spring about God wants all parts of me. God just doesn't want the black part of me or the foreign part of me or the gay part of me. God wants all parts of me to offer them up to him as a living sacrifice. Let them do with them what he wants to mm-hmm. and let me just be a vessel how he tells a story of black people or or of foreigners over gay people or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's, that gave me the freedom to really step into this space to where I am gonna own all these parts of me and I'm gonna give them up to God and let him do what he wants to those stories and they're gonna be worthy and they're gonna have dignity and they're worthy of respect and other people, I'm no longer gonna be in a space where I, cause I used to make myself, I remember one time I was in a Bible study, a group room, whatever, I watched in group of men and I was just like looking around and i was thinking does anybody in this room even like understand my lived experience as a black person or as a gay person i'm just like no i was like i can't orbit the space where i just shrink myself shrink myself to make myself because you know christians and uh, i know i sometimes i um, sometimes i speak very critically of evangelicals or christians rather but it's because identify as one. So if we have a problem in our home, we need to clean our home. So whenever I speak about Christian evangelicals, I'm not speaking as an outsider looking in. I'm speaking as somebody who was eating in the house, breathing in the house, sleeping in the house. And so I want to clarify that as well. Mm. But um, you can see how many pitfalls I've gotten into with people.
0: (laughs) Yep. Oh, man. how do you reset your soul in the midst of that? Cause I like, you know, you're like white people, white evangelicals, you're tired from talking about race. Like I got these three things that I am always, how do you recenter your soul?
3: I have to remind myself that one, God does not need me to do anything. And Mm -hmm. so at the end of the day, It is not Henry Butoh that is going to change hearts and minds about race or immigration or sexuality or inequality. It is God um, Mm -hmm. that is going to move the hearts of people and the hearts of man. And my only thing I can do is be faithful to what God has called me to do. And, you know, in some seasons, the Lord calls us to a season of rest and reflection and recharging. And so I often make sure... Okay, Henry, if I start feeling irritable or angry or impatient, or if I, my speech is not seasoned in grace, then maybe it's time for me to take a step back, because now I'm not showing the fruits of the Spirit. I'm not being Christ-like. So instead of people encountering Christ through me, now they're encountering someone who is hurt. And that's also my gauge for me. When do I feel, if I feel really hurt by something, it's time to take a step back and take care of that wound before I continue in conversations and engagements. And so... I did not use, I burned myself out in 2018, really. And then this past, even 2019, in this past year, I've made it a really big point to make sure I step away from writing or public speaking or teaching um, just in enough time to make sure I get some
0: rest So That's so important. That was a good word for my own soul.
3: Yeah. And to add to that, I really think the people who know you the best, especially people who know your walk and your life, ask them, hey, how am I doing? How does it sound? Because one of my friends had to lovingly rebuke me. I was actually writing about race and Christianity. And he was like, Henry, it seems like there's just something amiss in your heart here. Your message isn't wrong, but it seems like there's something amiss in your heart. So why don't we slow down and take care of what's going on in your heart before we continue these conversations?
1: Wow! And it
3: was really gracious and loving. So I really appreciated it. So yeah, mm. I, I've learned to lean on and trust the people around me who are in that inner circle in my life and mm. know my heart.
1: I, I love that ability that you have to introspect and, and to know your, your own limits and some of the signs mm-hmm. that you are not maybe speaking out of a good solid foundation. And you use the term like you're, you're not exhibiting the fruits of the spirit. Like mm-hmm. if you're, if you're burnt out and, and everything. And, um, I guess when you find yourself in that, in that space of really spirit filled speaking and you're speaking specifically about whether it's, you know, inclusion for, for sexual minorities or racial equity, um, Mm -hmm. What comes out when you are speaking out of a spirit-filled stance and particularly in those conversations?
3: Um, That's a good question. I think the number one thing that is marked by someone who is uh, like someone tells us, blessed is a man who's planted by a stream. So the number one thing that comes out of someone's heart and life and their posture is grace and humility. Um, and I don't say that to mean just be humble so people can walk all over you or like turn the other cheeks so people can just keep abusing you. It means even though I know these things need to be worked on as this, yes, there's racial injustice and there's racial inequality and there are these things going on. It means that because I'm filled with Christ and I'm planted and I'm rooted deeply in his word with his people I'm not shifted to and fro by the wind that comes. So I'm not swayed by strong emotions, whether I feel them or not. That's fine. If I feel them, if I let them control me, that's where I'm like, okay. So I know that when I'm not easily swayed by my emotions and I inform my feelings rather than just follow them blindly. That's when I know I'm speaking from a centered place. Um, When people feel encouraged, because like even in, Conflict, like let's y'all are married, so married people have conflict all the time. Mm-hmm. I hear that's a part of being no, married. Not at all. Um, if you, Lori or Matt, if you leave conversations with each other after resolving conflict, do you feel encouraged and loved by that person, even through admonishment, or do you just mm-hmm. feel beat down? And if the person feels beat down and discouraged by the things you said to them, then even if you were correct you were still wrong because of the posture of your heart. So I know that when people leave a hard conversation with me on these topics, feeling encouraged or admonished in a way that is gentle and loving to go forward. And honestly, if it fire someone up to want to do something different, then I'm like, okay, that was my job. And the last thing that is key, when I leave a conversation knowing that whatever the response, it's not on me, it's up to God. If I can walk away in peace, then I know that, okay, I did what I was supposed to do. Mm,
0: it's beautiful. So there's a lot of people listening um, who are surrounded by people whose theology of sexuality is changing with their gentleness and understanding of racial equity equality so they're seeing people around them rapidly change like their hearts are getting tenderized and like right and rightly so toward the need for racial equity but at the same time, they're throwing in um, also affirmation of same-sex marriage. Like it's just one and the mm-hmm. same. So I don't know if you're noticing that that it's like the ri- <laughs> the LGBT affirmation is riding the horse of racial equity. Can you? We've talked about this on this podcast a couple of times at least. Can mm-hmm. we? What's the difference for you between sexuality, racial equity?
3: Yes. Can I first say, uh, circle back. I love that y'all on this podcast and this conversation are using the term racial equity and racial reconciliation. Mm. Um, That term drives me absolutely bonkers Mm. because racial uh, reconciliation implies that both parties have something (laughs) equal to own at the table. And I'm like, no. Uh, I correct each and every single pastor, Christian, whatever I see online. I'm like, that is not the term to use. So I really, really appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome.
0: (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, but yes.
3: You, <laughs> yes. But yeah, to answer your question, um, I'll tell y'all a little secret. Um, so Black people sometimes speak amongst ourselves and we have conversations that white people are not privy to. Um, <laughs> I think this year has highlighted a lot of the Black conversations that we would have um, in private and public with such as the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey. Um, and a host of other names that we've gone forever. But the pain, Black pain and the fight for Black justice has been so centered, which is a good thing. But it now means that the conversations we have been having, maybe in private spaces, are now on public platforms and forums. And one of them has been the LGBT civil rights movement Uh, kind of riding on the back of the Black civil rights movement beginning in the 60s and the 50s and 60s and then now even with this second or third wave rather as I call it um, I would say this is probably the third wave of civil rights movement for me um, as I view history and because I do occupy both spaces I find myself in unique conversations with like, straight Black people for example who are absolutely like no gay rights are not the same as uh black or civil rights which i agree they're very different but then black people like how dare gay people even try to co opt this movement or whatnot and so as i have those conversations i always do have to make sure that gay people know that there is or the lgbtqia community knows that there is a difference in those civil rights movements um ours on that side versus the black ones because uh the black civil rights movements comes after a for hundred years of such depression and pain. And I think there's space to hold both those things individually without having to compare, or make it seem like one is co-opting the other. Um, and because I've been profiled against for being gay and I've been profiled against for being black. So I know what both those feels like and I know what it's like to potentially have your rights denied on both sides of that. Um, I will say the black pain seems more visceral to me. So the fight for black rights seems more visceral because for example, trans women are getting murdered. So we can have that conversation, but I don't think we can have the same conversation about gay people being murdered by police in the same way black people are or people of color are. So like Mm -hmm. those varying differences. just really make it important to note the distinctions in those conversations. But I also feel this sense of humanity that, um, and I will paraphrase Macklemore here, it's human rights for everyone, there is no difference. And uh, it's not the trauma Olympics essentially, like we all want rights and it's not a piece of pie. You're not gonna run out of slice of someone else has equal rights like there's room for everyone and there's room for rights to go around and so i don't know if i fully answered your question but i do know it's a topic i'm very invested in
0: yeah and it's this is a huge one and i i think you know i appreciate the personal like just the comparison that you can make and for people who are listening mm-hmm. and who maybe are like wait a minute wait should lgbt people get rights the answer is yes as yes. far as humans okay. humans need to be able to yeah. eat and go to the store and not get fired for their sexual attraction. So that's a human thing, guys. Like we, first Corinthians five, it's like, we don't judge each other based on these biblical standards for people who aren't even believers or even if they aren't um, like, so we let yes dead people can't hear the gospel. So mm-hmm. we want people alive and thriving and hearing. And so that's, it's anyway, We yes. everyone gets these rights. And mm-hmm.
3: Yes. And legally, I will say this. I said this a couple of years ago. Um, I believe in and will fight for equal rights for each and every single person on this planet. Yeah. Because I believe God created us to be. Respected, have dignity, have value. And if we're made in his image, then how can we deny other image bearers of Christ yeah. the same rights that we have? And so I will champion rights for every single person as long as I have breath in my lungs.
0: Yep. And we need to do that. Now, where it is different, and we've talked about this on ep- other episodes, is when we're holding people to these moral biblical standards. So someone that who they is don't a adhere believer. To. Right. So people who don't hear to them. So then let's say someone becomes a believer like you yourself, Henry. Now, We're never going to, this is, I can't remember when we started saying this, but we just keep saying it here. Start with heaven and work backward. I think I stole that from Francis Chan. In heaven, Henry, (laughs) you're going to still be black. And so this Mm -hmm. whole your kingdom come, your will be done. We want Henry, we're going to fight for those rights and not, there's no change that needs to happen there in the church. And then mm-hmm. when it comes to sexuality, we're not even asking for a change there. We're, that's the surrender piece of your version of broken sexuality, my version of broken sexuality. So in heaven, you're not going to have sexuality. So it's just going to be, we're all married to Jesus. So, that is where the difference comes in is so yes to rights, but when someone comes to Christ and is now, okay, I'm surrendering myself. I want to know the best plan of flourishing in God's design. It's the surrender of sexuality. There's, I mean, there's surrender of your black story, but it's not like a, there's no change that needs to happen. It's just this equal, mm-hmm. equal equality, this equity, uh, this heavenly equity. But when it comes to sexuality, there is this moral difference. So we fight for rights. But if someone is a believer, their version of broken sexuality, gay, straight, whatever needs to be surrendered to Jesus Christ.
3: Mm-hmm. I feel believe that. And it's like, and that's what sanctification is. And so I'm yeah. right there with you.
0: So someone who's listening right now is in your shoes, Henry, maybe not, can't relate to all the things you said, but they're like, man, you know, I've got, I'm black and I'm gay or it's some, they heard something in your story and they're feeling it. What would you say to them? How would you encourage, exhort them when they're like looking at this fragmented 2020 divisive world? And how, how would you encourage them to live and be like Jesus?
3: I think now more than ever when we are being pulled by so many different voices and opinions and whims and thoughts and so much so that you can feel isolated. It's like, gosh, who do I listen to? What I believe? What not? Like you feel like, Oh my gosh, I don't have anything or anyone. I think now more than ever, it's going to require believers to really lean into discernment and really trust God guidance of the Holy spirit, because there are pastors that I, believe in and follow their teachings that sometimes I'm like, you are wrong. And I feel like, man, they're really respected, like leader in the faith. Like I should be following them. Why do I feel so isolated? By right? like, I'm like, it's okay to follow the Holy Spirit to the best of your discernment. And really, if you feel Jesus calling you in terms of, man, I know the story feels isolated in my journey and it feels alone and I don't know who to follow, or what to do. Follow Jesus and follow his spirit and his guidance. I would say that. I would say also, I know it feels like you are so completely alone, um, but you are not. There are like-minded stories and people. And I remember in 2018, I was... uh, in a season that spring, I was in a depression just thinking through some of these things. And I didn't even know I was in depression until I was like, Oh my gosh, that sucked! I was mm. out of it, I was that's terrible. And, um, and I've since learned that depression is something I struggle with on and off. Um, but something that really stood out to me was Jeremiah 29, um, and everyone knows, um,
0: 11. So I know
3: the plans I have mm-hmm. for you, but 12 to 14 where the money is for me, then you will seek me and find me when you seek with all your heart and I'll be made known to you. And I'll bring you back to the place of the exile while I've sent you and I will restore you and uh, keep seeking. And like for me, that season I had to keep seeking Google and up till I found a community of people mm-hmm. that were like me and that understood my story. And just know that if God has you in a place of, uh, where you feel like you're in a wilderness or abandoned. Um, Our God is not a God of confusion. He's not a God that abandons us. And uh, please keep seeking, Mm -hmm. don't lose heart, but also please take time to acknowledge your pain because I try to just gloss over mine and maybe just call a friend and be like, hey, I feel like no one understands me. My best friend John's really good at just sitting with me, not allowing me to just wallow, but to sit in my pain and walk through it with me and uh, help me just, and then remind me of the gospel. Like if someone's house is on fire, which I feel like a lot of black people's, we feel like our house is on fire lately. And some where we feel so alone or disillusioned is that everyone's like, oh, well, all these other houses on the block could catch fire too. Like, that, for example, California's on fire right now. That's like saying, hey, we need to be worried about North Dakota, like they could potentially catch fire. Like, no, maybe we need to shift our attention. Yeah. And so I think it's okay if you're in a, listening and you're in a place of that, it's okay to ask people to shift their attention to, hey, my house is on fire and let's take care of that before we take care of these other things.
0: Mm. so. So good Henry Thank you so much uh, For sharing your heart And mind And some of your story With us today
3: Yeah Thank y'all so much For having me This was fun So
0: So glad enjoyed it. Will you send some articles Some of your favorite ones that was, So that we can post And link to them That you've written Yes
3: I will send some I've written a couple So I'll send you on my website And then I will link That New York Times article I mentioned So it was a really good one
0: So grateful Yeah all right. Thank Henry. Y'all well,
3: and I'll have me back anytime. So Yeah. I'm, welcome. Yeah, I'm happy to come back. So. We
0: would love it.
3: Okay. And thank y'all for the work y'all do. This podcast is really important to people. I was talking to my friend Ryan Ashton earlier this morning, a new oh. friend of mine. He was like, I love them. And Aww. so we got to talk a little bit about y'all this morning. So uh, thank so y'all for glad. the work y'all do. It means a lot to people. So you too. thanks for the
0: encouragement. Well, so guys, you are going to be able to find Henry's stuff at the bottom of the podcast episode page. You can find that at lauriecrieg.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much to those of you who rate and review the podcast. That helps others to find it. We appreciate those five stars. Uh, And really when you read the words, I often screenshot them and send them to Steve and Matt and anyone else on our team just to keep the encouragement up. Uh, Guys, we do have a question of the week for next week. You know, here we are hitting October. Thinking about Halloween, I'm pretty sure Halloween's canceled because it's 2020 and why not? Let's not get into the theology of how people feel about Halloween, but let's go ahead and talk about dressing up for things. If you've ever dressed up for something, Halloween, or Matt and I tend to throw really random birthday parties where you dress up, what was your best outfit? Last year I was Carmen Sandiego because why not? Uh, We want to hear about one of your best outfits, maybe it was when you were two or three or 34 or 35, how old you, Matt? 30. <laughs> Hit me up on the old Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, and again, on that Hole in My Heart podcast episode page on uh, Facebook. Thanks again to Henry Abuto, and for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast. We will see you next week.